we're going to start by reading from the book of Genesis. Now, your notes, uh, your bulletin says Acts, and we're going to do Acts 2. But first, I want you to read from Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11, verses 1-9. And uh, you can find that passage on page 9. A single digit. You can find that on page nine in the bullet or the uh, Bible that's on your desk there, your table rather. Can't multitask as good as I used to. So Genesis 11, verses one to nine. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick for stone and they had bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had made. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they, that they possess, propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in order to understand the significance of Pentecost, we've got to go back that far, but I'm actually going to take you back just a little further, and I'm going to give you an overview of the whole Bible narrative. And I'm so inspired as I feel like uh, there's been more going on in my preparation for the months ahead, starting with today, than I could possibly explain. You know, I was talking with Adrian in the youth group this morning, and and, and I was just telling him, it's like, the Lord has to show me some really amazing things here lately. And, and it's like, man, I wish that you could see how this biblical narrative is, is even better than Stranger Things, you know? Like, it's all that, but so much more. And this is real. This is real. We don't even understand or even bother to know how much exists and interacts from the unseen realm and so this story will only make sense when you recognize how Pentecost is a victory, not only for Jesus, but it's a victory in heaven over all the darkest forces that exist on our planet and in the universe. In all the created order, there is an upside down. <laughs> it exists. So to understand the power of Pentecost, you got to go back to Babel and you got to see that basically sin has always separated us from each other and us from God. And that's the problem of sin. And it ultimately leads to the ultimate separation, which is death. Oh, what a heartbreak it would be if we were people without a faith who actually saw death as permanent separation. 
instead of knowing that it is a temporary thing. And so we understand then that the power of sin to bring about chaos and oppression is of great concern to God, and God has interacted with creation in order to defeat chaos and oppression. To go back and understand that it started in Eden. It even started before Eden, if you want to get right down to it. Now, Scripture is our source, and our understanding comes from the Hebrew scholarship that informs us of how the people who wrote these original texts and the people who they were originally written for interpret them. So we have to understand how they read it and wrote it in order to really see the rich, deeper meaning that's tucked into all of this story. And so what you've got to recognize is, is that in the beginning, as Scripture tells us in the first few verses, is there was chaos. And God spoke and brought order to the chaos. And then God created a place amidst the chaos called Eden. You could think of it as an island in the middle of chaos. You could think of it as a garden surrounded by high walls in the middle of the chaos. But basically, you have to recognize that there is this place that is connected with the otherness of God outside of space and time that existed on the earth. And it was called Eden. And there existed on that place a cosmic order. And cosmos is a word that means divine order. And so there's this cosmic order that is this place called Eden. And everything created for occupying Eden was made perfect in God's sight. It was not unclean. It was not tainted by chaos or oppression. And the chief of those creations for Eden was humanity. The word Adam is actually a word that means God's uniquely created human beings. But we call him Adam and we call her Eve because that's the way we learned it in Sunday school class when we were little kids. And that's okay. And you can still talk about Adam and Eve. It's okay because the story tells us about them as though those names are as much the story as what those names mean. But rest assured that in this particular context, what you need to understand is that there was a created cosmic divine order that existed inside of Eden, and there was a created chaotic and oppressive, ugly, dark disorder outside of Eden. And so if we understand the Hebrew scholars and the understanding of the people who wrote these stories for our benefit and more importantly, understand the context in which its original recipients understood it, what we get is, is that there was among the heavenlies in the presence of God a divine council. Now, we don't use that term very much, but we do talk a lot about angels and we do recognize from Scripture that there are different kinds of angels and some are more powerful and possess more authority than others. So we basically describe the divine uh, council. We just don't call it that. But in Jewish tradition, that's exactly how it's known. And in that divine council, which you could picture simply by reading the chapters from the book of Revelation, where John is witnessing the divine council in the throne room of God. 
But what I want you to hear more importantly is that among the divine council were those who rebelled against God, rejected God's authority, thought they could do the whole God thing better than God, and the chief among them was this fellow we call Satan. And they were cast to the earth where there is chaos, oppression, and evil, and disorder outside of Eden. Are you beginning to get the story here? You see the picture? Some of you grew up in the church and what I'm telling you is going to stretch you. But it is founded in good scholarship and truth that, you know, you want citations? I'll give you citations. But here's the thing. The chaos, the leader of the chaos, he was committed to the destruction and the and the disruption of God's divine plan. And so he leads these special people created by the supreme and only God above all these lesser gods or angels or whatever, who in themselves have power and even creative energy. And one of them, the big kahuna, Satan, he creeps into the Garden of Eden and he introduces confusion chaos in our thoughts. He introduces a disruption of the divine order and plan. And because the people are made in the image of God, they have a mind of their own and they can choose to disobey God and they did, which put them outside of Eden in the chaos. Okay. So then we read the narrative forward to a flood. And in Genesis chapter 6, we're told that in this world of chaos, where lesser gods or angels with high powers are capable of certain creative abilities and they also have the ability to procreate. And so we read in Genesis 6 that they turned the earth into a weird and ter terrible place, a, a terrible place where strange characters and creatures existed because of the intermingling of created beings and godlike creatures. And you know, doesn't our mythology also present us with that? No wonder then God, in response, flooded the earth entirely. And this, this flood narrative goes across all cultural lines. There's flood accounts of virtually every major historic document. And what happens is the, cre the, the, the creatures and the created things that spawned from the lesser gods, the evil fallen angels will say, they're destroyed, they're wiped out. And after the flood, we realize that Noah was preserved because his bloodline was pure all the way back to the initial creation of Adam. And we realize through scripture that this was why God preserved him and a select number of angels, or angels, I mean animals, right? That he, he has a select group of created things that originated in Eden that he preserves and he allows the rest to be virtually wiped out. Now this story, if you're listening as an adult who heard it as a child, maybe it's meaning more to you now than it ever has before because it's an amazing story. And I want you to hear this incredible story because we watch, we stream, we binge watch TV shows because they're interesting 
And what you don't know is, is that your Bible is as interesting and you can binge it all the time too. Because every time you go back and watch it and rewatch it or read it and reread it, you miss, you find things you missed on the first pass. And so here we are now after the flood and humanity starts to spread out and a bunch of them make their way to this plain that we read about and they realizing they're no longer oppressed by these otherworldly forces, these crazy characters and these giants and men of renown and all of this, they begin to say, you know, now it's our time. Bottom rung on top now, right? And so they begin to get full of themselves and their ego and their pride and their desire to make themselves gods begins in earnest. And God recognized that they didn't have anything restricting them even. And so he knew as he consulted, remember he said, let us, as he consults with his divine counsel and no one more important in his counsel than the Son and the Holy Spirit, he consults with them and he says, holy smokes, these people left unchecked will make themselves as bad, if not worse than what we destroyed in the flood. And so Babel happens. People have been babbling ever since, right? The Babel event prevents a repeat of the things that happened before the flood. And then from the chaos later, a man emerges named Abram, and Abram is a man that God thinks, you know, here's a guy that I think has a heart for me. And so they talk. And Abram is willing to leave the chaos, the world of Babel behind, and follow the Lord into an unknown land and obey the Lord. And for this, the Lord says to Abraham, to Abram, I'm going to make you Abraham, and from you I'm going to make more descendants than the stars in the heaven and the sands on the sea and the grains of sand on the sea. And you know what? Abraham says, Lord, I believe you can do anything, but you know we are starting with a little bit of a deficit here since Sarah and I are kind of old and we haven't had any kids yet and probably won't have any kids. And the Lord says, if I tell you I've got this, do you believe me? And to Abraham's credit, he says, you've got this. And so what becomes Israel is born out of that. And God has done once again what he set out to do with Eden. He set apart a particular people, flawed though, but he puts this particular people as the center point of his plan and all the rest is chaos and disorder, oppression and evil. But from this people, he will bring an end just as he set out to do. God never gives up on Eden. And so from those people, we get Joseph, we get Moses, we get a covenant with Abraham, we get a covenant detailed in specific ways through Moses, we get a covenant with the prophets, we get a covenant with Daniel, we get a covenant with David, we get, I put those in the wrong order, we get a covenant with all these people, and eventually God sends God's own son to fulfill the terms of that original covenant because there is still chaos, 
and oppression, and the chosen people are sometimes victimized by it, just as they were before the flood. And so God resolves the problem as God only can, and through that Son, God fulfills the terms of the old covenant and issues a new covenant, which we will experience in a few minutes right at this table. As the new covenant is revealed in the body and blood of Christ, the Son. And so the problem of sin is resolved. The problem of the inherent sin that is there from the beginning with Adam all the way through to us is resolved because of Christ's sacrifice and his offering and his personal victory over Satan and all the fallen dark forces of chaos and oppression. And we claim his victory as our salvation from the enemy and the punishment that the enemy is bound to receive. And we too, without that salvation. And so what we have in Christ is canceled sin. Original sin in us is canceled when we accept that salvation that comes through Christ and it is no longer powerful in our lives. We can ignore it. We can reject it. We have authority through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us to tell Satan where to go and how to get there. And he happens to have that address on his driver's license. So you know he knows where he can go when you tell him. Have you told him lately when you've been tempted? Have you told him lately when you've been feeling more like someone who is embracing chaos and wishing that you too could be in the power of oppression? The only thing wrong with my world is, is those people, and if I had authority over them, we wouldn't have this problem anymore. Our denomination is being led by people like that right now. Well, you know, we can end oppression and chaos as long as we get rid of them. <laughs> and now we're trying to go and they won't let us. So that's another story for another occasion. But what you need to hear is you have authority through Jesus Christ and power because of the Holy Spirit to tell evil that you reject it. And the only reason you haven't is because you don't. <laughs> and so there's a lesson. You have a new covenant that says through Christ's blood, through Christ's flesh, you are welcome to go home to Eden. You are welcome to be an expression of Eden while you're here on earth. You're even an expression of Christ himself because he lives in you. Because at Pentecost, you got the Holy Spirit, or at least you got it when you accepted Christ because it happened at Pentecost. Let's read that passage now, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. That's on page 1081, 1081. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? I got to stop there and give you a commentary. This is a very humorous story, and the first bit of humor there is the arrogance of the elite who are saying, you mean to say these rednecks who can't even speak English properly can now embrace all these other languages? That's kind of my paraphrase of what they just said. I'll show you something else here in a minute. But as they were amazed, they saw that Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them and said, they're filled with new wine. And Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. There's the other one i got to point out to you. <laughs> Peter saying, in effect, Oh, come on, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, nobody's drunk by then. Come back later, maybe you could accuse us of this. <laughs> That's funny. But this is what he uttered from the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes to the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there again, the reading of the word of God for the people of God. Now. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Man, that's a power-packed statement right there. First of all, he's tying everything that's happening back to Abraham and he's saying Abraham is outside of space and time right now with God watching. And he's pretty thrilled about what's going on. And what comes after that? is the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, and the birth of the body of Christ as his presence on earth wherever spirit-filled believers dwell. And Abraham was stoked. He was pleased. And the Lord is alive in you right now. You are Jesus Christ. Wherever you, filled with the spirit, rejecting evil and standing with the promise that was given through the prophet Joel by Peter, wherever you are, Christ is. And the only reason you don't is because you haven't yet. 
And the only reason you haven't yet is because you have to get out of the way. You have the Holy Spirit because you were born again as a Christian believer. You have the Holy Spirit because that's part of the package when you accept the grace of God that justifies and saves you. But the Holy Spirit is a little bit like the pilot light on your gas water heater. It doesn't make for a warm shower unless the flames grow. And you have to invite them to grow. You have to invite the Holy Spirit, just as Jessica led us to do in those three opening songs. That's why I said to you, be careful singing these words, because if you mean it, it will happen. And my promise to you is, is if the first thing that needs to happen is to break down your ego, your pride, and your self-determination until you are vulnerable and helpless before God, then that's what the Holy Spirit will do. And then, after all of that, you won't really mind the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that come next. Or do you just want to be comfortable as someone who has insurance against hell? but you're waiting for heaven till you get there instead of being heaven on earth. We can make more good things happen on this planet and we can join the Lord of the Holy Spirit in ending chaos and oppression on earth if we'll embrace the Holy Spirit and do the work of discipleship. That's our mission. Your mission, Shiloh, should you choose to accept it, is to be disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and to seek those who would be disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you'll change the world. But if you'd rather not accept the mission, well, the tape doesn't self-destruct, but the mission goes on. And our mission as the people of God going forward, and I'm going to be talking about it a lot over the next six or eight weeks, is to be people transformed by the Holy Spirit and to be people whose love for God and neighbor is like Christ's. A perfect love. That's our goal. And I believe that if 51% of you will join me, it will happen. So let's get started. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Burn it onto our hearts and change us with the divine things that you provide. For your namesake and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.